When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Mike Brown, author, nerd, and host of the Dark Poutine Podcast. Join me and Morgan Knudsen, author, paranormal researcher, and host of the TV shows Paranormal 911 and Haunted Hospitals, as we take you on a journey for the curious about the unseen, the mysterious, and the incredible things happening in the world about us. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances. Living in Canada, I grew up loving nature and the outdoors. When I was not sitting in front of the television, a device my mother referred to as the idiot box, I was usually outside. Our home was adjacent to the town park, and there were plenty of forests to explore in our end of town. Personally, I've never seen anything I could not easily explain while on my excursions, but sometimes while exploring, I did hear strange sounds and have felt strongly at times like I was being watched. Of course, it would be ridiculous to assume it was some sort of fantastical creature stalking me, wouldn't it? Or would it? Hardcore cynics will say that line of thinking is ludicrous. That kind of closed-mindedness seems just as misguided as the pure fantasist. Perhaps we need to be a little more open to discovering new things. But Mike, you might be thinking, don't we know everything there is to know about the creatures that roam our forests and share this world with us? There can't be much more to discover. But there is. A recent article on Discover Wildlife from the team at BBC Wildlife magazine highlights 30, that's only 30, of the species discovered globally this year. Lots, of course, are invertebrates, insects, reptiles, and fish, but there are larger creatures as well. One example, found in the Democratic Republic of Sao Tome and Principe, is a new owl species, Otis bikigila, belonging to the Scops owl genus. One of the main clues leading to this species' discovery was its distinctive call, a short TOO note, that's T-U-U, which is rapidly repeated and sounds a bit like insect calls. Pairs of owls often emit this call as a duet at nightfall. Pretty cool. There are also discoveries of larger species, even mammals. Discovered this year and endemic to the Brazilian Atlantic forest is the southern-maned sloth, Bradypus crinitus. Scientists had previously thought there was just one species of main sloth out there. DNA analysis of one of these determined that there are actually two main sloth species, the northern and the southern. But we rarely discover a larger creature, you say. Well, that's not entirely true either. We're all, of course, familiar with the mountain gorilla found along the west coast of Africa in the Virunga mountain range. And Virunga translated means a lonely mountain that reaches the clouds. These creatures were considered mythological to Western science well into the 19th century. In 1860, an explorer named Du Chailu described the gorilla as a bloodthirsty forest monster that is willing to attack any human beings. 
The mountain gorilla was first discovered to be a real creature by a German officer named Captain Robert von Bering in 1902. Prior to this time, only lowland gorillas were known to exist. That's a pretty modern discovery in the big scheme of things. Since their actual discovery, we've come to find out that these mountain gorillas are not the vicious and violent creatures written about by Duchailu and others. Quite the opposite. Here in Canada alone, there are vast expanses of wilderness that humanity has yet to visit, and who knows what remains to be discovered. In this episode, we take a look at a few rather terrifying creatures that are said to roam the Canadian wilds. In her part of the show, Morgan will talk about a few of these, including the Gugway, thought to be a giant, vicious, and baboon-like creature who is named by the Mi'kmaq peoples of eastern Canada. It's sometimes referred to as the face eater. Later, we'll speak with cryptozoologist Ryan Tremblay. Ryan's fascination for things unexplained and cryptids began at an early age and he's been a student of the strange and unusual for well over 20 years. He's currently working on two books detailing the Wendigo and Skinwalkers. You can hear more from Ryan every week over on Monster Radio, a supernatural and cryptids podcast with his co-host Ashley Hilt. Now here's Morgan. The Face Eaters. Not typically a name we are used to hearing from the wilds of eastern Canada. It sounds like something straight out of a horror film and a monster no one, man or animal, would survive. The name Gugwe translates from Mi'kmaq into the Face Eater or Head Eater, a bipedal great ape thought to roam the forests next to the infamous Sasquatch and the cryptid Dogman, a bipedal canine whose reports and encounters date back to the Epic of Gilgamesh and ancient Rome. However, in Canada, we have to look no further than the Nahani Valley in the Northwest Territories for evidence of something going on. In folklore, the Gugwe will decapitate and eat the person's head and leave behind their corpse. Although this sounds far-fetched, many cases of this have occurred in that area, and it has become a byware among travelers. The Gugwe, however, takes up its place in cryptid history in a rather disturbing way, unlike the Sasquatch, which has been theorized to be related to humans or at least to the ancient great ape Gigantopithecus, the Gugwe doesn't seem related to us at all. In fact, it seems to be a primate, with its closest potential relation to be the Dinopithecus, or terrible ape an extinct genus of a very large primate closely related to the baboon that lived during the Pliocene to Plasticine epoch of South Africa and Ethiopia. It was named by British paleontologist Robert Broom in 1937. It is known from several infilled cave sites in South Africa, all of the early Pleistocene age. Dinopithecus engines was approximately twice the size of the largest living baboons, with males averaging 46 kilograms or 101 pounds, and females 29 kilograms or 64 pounds, based on estimates from the molar teeth. In some cases, males were estimated to reach in maturity a weight of 77 kilograms or 170 pounds. The Gugwe are said to have gray, white, or black hair, and their body resembles a chimps or baboon, although their head resembles a gorilla's, with a baboon or mandrill-type face and long snout. Gugwe's inhabit dense and remote boreal forests, 
mainly in Quebec and Labrador, although they have been sighted as far out as northern Ontario, northern Manitoba, and the Northwest Territories. Similar to Sasquatch, no bones or limbs or other parts beyond skulls and teeth have been attributed to Dinopithecus, so it is impossible to know its mode of locomotion for certain. However, for a creature such as this, it has probably spent a significant amount of time on the ground and moved on all fours where the Gugwe is often seen upright on two legs. The Dinopithecus, however, does bring to mind the image of a second cryptid, often referred to as the devil monkey, a high-energy, vicious ape which are thought to be a subspecies of Bigfoot. Now with the rise of the Gugwe, many cryptozoologists are beginning to wonder if the devil monkey may simply be a younger version of the Gugwe itself, a terror in smaller form before it grows into a much larger monster. Although they are seen as terrifying wild man of sorts, the devil monkey is considered by those who live in its territory to be an ever-present threat mutilating livestock when their presence first became noticed by farmers in America around 1970. One of the first encounters was written about on superbugdom.com, which states, One of the earliest written accounts was featured in Elliot Merrick's 1933 book, True North, about his time living in Labrador. He wrote about a Gugwe encounter with a girl named Michelin that she had near Trapperspine in 1913. Allegedly, Michelin was playing near her parents' cabin in a meadow when she spotted a seven-foot-tall, ape-like creature walking out of the tree line. It mostly walked on two legs, but would occasionally go on all fours. It was covered in white hair, had long arms, and a mane on its head resembling the helmet crest of a Roman centurion. The creature then noticed Michelin and bared its teeth at her. She then ran away screaming into her cabin, and they never saw it again but they did find various 30-centimeter-long tracks outside the cabin. The footprints were narrow at the heel and forking at the front into two broad, round-ended toes. Sometimes its print was so deep it looked to weigh 500 pounds. After this encounter, lumbermen in the area found more tracks, as well as trees with the bark stripped off as if the creature was looking for insects. For the next couple of years, the creature, now nicknamed the Trapper's Fine Gorilla, would occasionally be seen in the area. With these terrifying encounters lingering in the outskirts of Canada's north, it is fair to say that Canada still continues to mark its territory as one of the cryptid capitals of the world, and that in the end, our wilds are still home to some of the most frightening beasts, still. This was a new subject for me, from the get-go. Mike, it's a super new subject for you. You, you yes. haven't looked into this at all. Not at all. Uh, I am fresh as a daisy. <laughs> I am, I'm excited about this subject because I had not known about it until Mr. Ryan had posted about this. So, Ryan, thank you for being here, first of all, to discuss this oh, weird hey. critter. My pleasure, man. Whenever I can talk about the Gugwe, I get all excited like a little schoolboy. I'm so glad because I'm excited too. And uh, first of all, a little bit about you. I mean, you're the uh, co-host of of Monster Radio. Uh, Tell the audience what your journey has been in all this. How did you get started on this weird road that we're all all on? (laughs) It's going to sound kind of stereotypical, but I was always a monster kid growing up. You know, the Godzilla movies, Gamera movies, they were a staple 
when I was growing up. And then I started watching the uh, Universal monster movies, mm -hmm. Dracula, mm -hmm. Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Wolfman. And, you know, those are my favorites. And my dad, my dad was actually a, a big cryptid fan. I didn't know that growing up, but then he started telling me tales about the Rougarou mm -hmm. and, you know, different Bigfoot stories. And so, you know, he kind of set my foot on the path that I'm on nowadays. And, you know, as the years went on, I just started reading more books, watching any TV shows that I could. And just, you know, absorbing any info that came my way. And that just led to one thing, then to another and another and another. And I went down the rabbit holes. Did you have the same moment that I did with this stuff where it, there was a moment when you were a kid where you realized or you stumbled upon the like a true story that it really blew your mind? Because I know for me, even with with parapsychology, I mm -hmm. think I, like I grew up, it, you know, I guess like most kids that were thinking, oh, that's the thing you do on Halloween or whatever. And then you read that one thing that is a, a true encounter from someone credible. Oh, yeah. Did, did you have that moment? Oh, I definitely did. I most definitely did. You know, growing up in Massachusetts, we hear about the Dover Demon all the time. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just like, I, to me, that was a campfire tale. It was eerie, but not really, really frightening. But my uncle, my dad's brother, he actually lived in Louisiana. So he told me his Rougarou encounter. And since that was my uncle, you know, and he's telling me this so serious and stone set, I'm going, oh my gosh, this is real. You know, so that kind of opened up my eyes that werewolves are out there, that Bigfoot's out there, that these monsters really are out in our world. It's not all fantasy. That's interesting that you started with the Rougarou too. I mean, what a mm -hmm. dramatic and dynamic tale to really break into this field with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird, Morgan, because I didn't believe in Dogman much. I really did not. Now, I bought into the Rougarou because I was like, well, you know, maybe there's some kind of monster. Maybe it's not a werewolf, but there's something out there. So I really did doubt the whole Dogman experience until I had my own personal Dogman experience. That's when I was like, oh, my Dogman is real. Oh, OK. Well, I was wrong. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. And, you know, here we are today talking about Ecrypted that is I think relatively new to the the public eye, mm -hmm. um, and I know it was for myself, which is the Gugway. Mm, yes. What is that? <laughs> Tell the audience what this is. Okay. Well, I mean, there's two interpretations of the Gugway. Some people say it's a subspecies of Sasquatch, whereas other people say they're a kind of troll that the Micmac Indians used to talk about all the time. They called them the Cuckway, the Cuckway. And they tell stories of how these things used to set traps for the little kids or even go after the braves that were out hunting. And they called it the bear man. So when you look at the bear man and the gugwe, the descriptions line up perfectly because the gugwe are said to look like uh, baboons or mandrels. And the bear man has all the physical features as well. The long snout, the bipedal walk, you know, so those two tie together. So I don't know if I believe they're a subspecies of Sasquatch or just a species all their own. That makes sense. That's interesting. I I know with uh with some of some of the descriptions that people have 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 come forward with. I mean, I, from what I'm gathering, that that mandrel look is something that really stands out to people. That kind of long nose, mm -hmm. with the, the snarl. Uh, I mean, they're just they're really creepy. Right. Uh, when when did the reports of the the Gugway start? Can you trace it back? To a, to a time period, or is this something that just doesn't seem to really have a beginning? It doesn't really seem to have any solid beginnings, but I, like I mentioned earlier, the Micmacs did talk about them, and they're a staple in their beliefs. So if you want to go based on that, Morgan, that goes way, way back before settlers even showed up here. But the most infamous sighting, the most infamous encounter, 
is the Beast of Seven Shoots. And that photo was taken on June 1st, 2005. So, so that one is the most publicly known. Yeah, talk about that photo a little bit for those who haven't seen it. Okay, well, the Seven Shoots, it's a, a park and it's just, I think it's like 30 minutes outside of a place in Canada. And a guy was out there taking photos of the trees and the waterfalls. And what he didn't know is while he was taking all these photos, there was actually a gugwe in the frame looking right up at him. He was on a cliff, a hillside, and he was looking down and taking all these photos. And when he got home, he found that there was a bipedal figure standing there holding some kind of dead animal in its hand. Yikes. And so, yeah, he sent this out to Bigfoot experts. They're going, well, you know, that doesn't really look like the Bigfoots we've seen. So people started researching and it matches up to the bear man. So there you go. That's where they get the most infamous photo, the Beast of Seven Shoots. Yeah, that it's it's just, it's creepy, Mike. <laughs> it is, and I I did yeah. a deep dive on that, and some people say it's a deer that it's holding, but that doesn't look like a deer to me. It looks too small to me. It looks like a dog. Yeah, it looks like a small dog. And what's really ironic though is there was a woman that did a report her dog was missing, and the dog's picture actually matched up to what you see in that photo. Oh no. Hmm. Oh, what a what a nightmare that would be. Oh, I know. But, you know, there's plenty of reports, Morgan, of Bigfoot whistling to attract dogs to them. Yep. You know, so do they kill dogs? I would say they would. Why wouldn't they? It's easy prey, right? Yeah. Well, I know even uh, our dog man here in Alberta, Cole Lake, uh, he's mm-hmm. been known to to go after definitely local wildlife, but chickens, um, mm-hmm. anything cooped up, uh, you know. So, I mean, anything that would be... An, an easy grab or an easy snack. I mean, they're, they're, they're predators, right? So Right. And domesticated dogs would be easy because I'm not trying to insult dogs here, but dogs can be kind of dumb. <laughs> you know, if you attract we them all know the right it. way, <laughs> if you attract them in the proper way, they get curious enough where they're going to come over to see what it is. And when they do that, snatch them up real quick. You know, yeah. so in that photo, though, I do believe that is that woman's dog that I think it's holding. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So your take on the photo is is that that's, that's the genuine article. Oh, definitely. Most yeah. definitely. If you look at the facial features, you look at the stance, the height, you know, there's no way that's a tree stump like some people have said. I don't see tree stump in that. It looks very organic to me. It does. It really right. does. And it looks like it's a moving, breathing being. I'm looking at it here now and mm-hmm. it's like, oh my goodness gracious. It's terrifying, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, no. It is horrifying. It, I mean, it's probably better for the, the photographer that he didn't know that it was there. Yeah. You know, because I mean, what would he have done if he, you know, made eye contact with that thing? Oh, and it Ron. seemed to know he was there because, you know, what I see is I see that thing looking right at him. Mm. You know, is he trying to decide, well, I got this small dog, but I could have that guy. I mean, do I want to climb that hill and get him or you know, <laughs> what should I do? <laughs> How much effort do I want to put into this today? <laughs> right. Is this guy armed? Does he have buddies with him? Am I going to be taking on a gang or, you know, I think I'll just go with the dog. <laughs> so what this, this creature, I mean, and there's been comparisons oh, over mm-hmm. the years to these as, as some form of, of Sasquatch or whatnot, right. but what, what sets this thing apart from Sasquatch specifically, other than think, the obvious face? I think the three toes, a lot of the people that run into these things describe three-toed footprints. Really? Yeah, which in and of itself, if you know primates, it just doesn't seem very likely. I mean, there's no primates that actually have just three toes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send you a set of tracks later, by the way, Ooh. now that you've said that. Uh-oh. Um, yeah. I, I sense some fear there, Morgan. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've we found some tracks uh, 
uh, at this that that same property I was telling you about earlier uh, mm-hmm. uh, recently that don't match old dog man so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna pass them to you to see what you think so okay. but but anyway so these 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 footprints so the mm-hmm. three told tracks are they are they similar are they human looking yeah they're very human like save for the fact that they have only three toes they have the basic build that the bigfoot footprints would have you know and the only difference is the toe prints so you know is it maybe like an inbred kind of thing going on or is it just their natural evolution i'm not really sure I mean, three toes doesn't make a lot of sense, especially balance wise, but you know, we don't know what these things are. So we can't really categorize them with known animals and say, well, because known animals don't have it, they won't have it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. No, that, that I agree. Uh, so one thing that I noticed when I was looking these, these things up is, is their habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that a lot of the habitats between these, these Gugways and the, the Sasquatch actually seem to be overlapping with one mm-hmm. another. Yeah, I've heard stories where Gugway come into Bigfoot territory and the average Bigfoot, we'll call them that just for the sake of the show, they'll move out once the Gugway get in there. Yeah, they've got a, it sounds like they've just got a wicked temper. temper yeah, on I mean, them. I think basically they're just, you know, the Sam Kinnison's of the cryptid world. They're always in a foul, <laughs> foul mood. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they don't get along with anybody that they move into turf that they know other cryptids are there just for the purpose of taking over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they seem to like, they're just, there seems to be a, a territory issues. Like I was reading mm-hmm. a couple of reports of, of these uh, Sasquatch and the Gugway actually killing each other. Yeah. Um, and people, I don't, are people witnessing that? Like, how do they know that's happening? Well, there's one woman, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, Kat Hansen. No. Okay, well, she did tell a story a long time back where there was a group of Sasquatch that she had grown up with, and Gugwe had moved into the territory, and basically it was an all-out war between the two tribes. Wow. And she did witness a average Bigfoot and a Gugwe go at it, and the Bigfoot ended up snapping the Gugwe's neck. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, imagine seeing that fight. I mean, that's better than King Kong versus Godzilla in my book. Oh, truly. I mean, it ter- it's, and it's terrifying, you know, to think that this, especially if you're growing up with this this group that you know and mm-hmm. you know you're you're coming to terms with and whatnot right. and you notice this other thing moving in and being right smack it, in the middle to make it even more frightening she was a little girl i think she was like seven or eight when she saw this oh no you know, so here you are this tiny little girl and you get a bigfoot which is pretty scary then you get a gugly which is absolutely terrifying the two yeah. are going at it and you're so little human what are you going to do if they look at you I, I can't even fathom. <laughs> I, I can't even get there. The best in my you head. can do is just look at them and be like, hey, man, I don't play that. Just run and you know, hope they don't chase <laughs> yeah. you. Well, yeah. And that, you know, that's funny because having dealt with, with Dogman as, as much as I have here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's the one thing that we're, we're always so conscious of is is do not run because prey runs. Exactly. And, you yeah, know, so and that's what soon, I tell people. It, absolutely. It's the predator behavior. When you run, they think, oh, prey. Yeah. It's like instigating the chase. It's like, I mean, you couldn't be giving them a clearer order if you, if you told them, right? you know, is, is, is the chase. So yeah, I, I can't even imagine it for, for me, I find, I find the the Sasquatch can be more frightening and the Gugway can be more frightening to me than, than even Dogman. I think because my Dogman experiences have been really positive. (laughs) Yeah, they're all positive ones where I've really never heard too many positive encounters with Gugway. It's kind of strange how they just seem to be the jerks of the cryptid world. Yeah, well, I mean, if they, if there is some sort of 
you know, baboon relationship there. It, it mm -hmm. kind of makes sense. I mean, baboons yes. are not, <laughs> they're not the sweetest critters on the planet. Well, right. Neither are chimpanzees. If you really look down no. at the history of chimpanzees, they can be brutal as can be. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, when you see them killing other chimps, you're just going, my Lord, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. And the territory wars, you know, mm -hmm. that, that go on back and forth. You know, I, I, I've, I've heard a number of skeptics, you know, with, with Sasquatch come forward and say, you know, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're simply just, you know, curious and, and whatnot, which I mean, I, I think a, a fair number of them are, right. but I mean, you do, you look at the history of, of apes and these warring chimps and even the, the Bigfoot wars that were said to go on in the Sierra mountains. Right. And I mean, the, I mean, the absolute carnage <laughs> that set out, you know, during during that time. So, you know, you can see this kind of predatory behavior that's that's there, I think, if you, you know, set them off the wrong way. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. So do you think there could be there could be mistaken reports of dogmen that are actually Gugwe? Yes, most definitely. I was actually talking about that not too long ago in a write up that I did. When you look at the physical features, if you were to see a gugwe in very low light, like in moonlight or whatever, because of the snout and maybe because of the noises they make too, your first instinct is going to be like, oh, it's a canine. It's a dogman I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. But I do have to wonder how many sightings of dogman are actually these gugwe that people are running into. Yeah, I know with like uh, with the 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 dogman that we've dealt with in Coal Lake. I mean, he's he's super recognizable because of his ears and right. great big oversized forward-facing ears um kind of like a, a german shepherd and I've, right. I've been reading with the gugway that they some people have actually been seeing a crest on their head like a gorilla yeah yeah they have like that little silver spot where the first kind of a grayish silver you know and they also are seen with little tufts near where the ears would be so if you look at the tufts maybe they're curving upward to look like canine ears I mean, it's a possibility. You know, I don't yeah. want to say that all the dogman encounters are misidentified. I don't want anybody to think that. I'm definitely not saying that. But I do have to wonder what, what number are actually Gugwe and which ones are dogmen. Well, especially what, like you're saying, in, in low light. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, that's the one thing that we've, we've even found with the dogman here is that, I mean, as soon as, as soon as a light is remotely on him, it spooks him. Right. And I mean, because our, our guy, he's really shy. And he uh, as, as soon as the there's a direct light on him, it's like, oh, my God, what do I do? And two minutes later, he's, you know, booking it off in the other direction. So, I mean, trying to to get a clear sighting is is really tricky. And I, like I can imagine with these guys, I mean, you know, you've got, you know, X number of amounts of brush in front of you. You've got leaves in front of you. I mean, mm -hmm. the property that we work on, it's got it. I mean, it's Canada. So it's these you know, dense forests. And right. uh, even on Saturday, we had a, a beautiful moose that came through the woods and she was gorgeous. And she had two, two young ones with her. Uh -huh. And uh, we we're trying to take photographs of this uh, incredible moose. And I mean, even the photographs that I was getting, you know, with, and I mean, it was broad daylight. And what, mm -hmm. I mean, they're poor, like you're, <laughs> you're trying to get through all of this stuff in between. So like trying to you know, people think, well, they're, you know, all the photographs are so unclear. It is really tough when you're in the wilderness to get a clear photo. Oh, definitely. It definitely is because, I mean, they're always moving. They see humans and they shy away by instinct. Yeah, we've learned with with uh, with our guys to we actually have our cameras oftentimes over our shoulders 
and facing backwards. Oh, because uh, like Scott Carpenter. Yeah, because oftentimes yeah. when you when you get them, it's because he's popped up behind you, and and you and and we've caught him a number of times that way. As long as he thinks you're not looking. Yeah, that's but, an animal's nature, though. I mean, they yeah. see humans and they know that humans could present a danger. Absolutely, so it's only natural that they're going to hide or avoid us if they can. See, I've got you a know, GoPro. So. I've got a GoPro 360 Max that might help in that regard. So essentially, what it does is it, it shoots a 360 degree video as Ooh. you're as you're walking. So See, that you would can, be absolutely stellar. You have it holding. You're holding it out in front of yourself, and then later in the edit, you can choose whatever angle that you want. It's really, really uh, a cool. I'm writing that down so I can get one now. I will. Yeah. I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I I have one, and it is really, really cool. It it there's a bit of a learning curve uh, as far as the editing goes, but it would be the perfect tool for this kind of cryptid for sure. The ones that are a little more afraid when you when you turn to look, because in this way you're always looking. See, that okay. would be ideal. Absolutely yeah, ideal. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, we had uh, we, we've had people come out and we end up st just strapping them covered in cameras. We it, like <laughs> chest cameras, you know, they've mm. got handhelds, like everything, because we, we found that the best way to catch them is just have as many possible cameras running at once and well, somebody will get something. And so this sounds ideal. <laughs> when yeah. are you coming, Mike? <laughs> I got to come out soon, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, time is running. We're we're gonna get snow in the next month here. Oh uh, boy! But in in a, at least at least with a little bit of snow on the ground, we can we can pinpoint some some more tracks, which is always really, there. You go. Yeah, it's always really helpful. Turn a negative into a positive. That's how you do it. Absolutely. Well, and the leaves start to fall as well, so you end up with less less brush that you're trying to see through, and it actually less cover and everything. Yeah, and it it, it does help. But so. Back to Dugway, the, the, the Gugway here, because these these things have there's so many various links that people have made in and around the the, the cryptid chain, and mm -hmm. one of them is the Devil Monkey, and uh, the idea yes. that this thing is related to the Devil Monkey. So for the for the audience first that well, might not me, know, yeah, and for uh, you <laughs> <laughs> that might not know what the Devil Monkey is, uh, Ryan, do you want to tell tell them a little bit about that? Sure, yeah. The devil monkeys, they're smaller cryptids that people are seeing. They're usually about three, maybe four, even five feet in height, and they look a lot like wild baboons. So, you know, these things run around in our inner states, and people are seeing what they call baboons on different properties, and they are very, very, very aggressive, hence the name devil monkeys. You know, and in my opinion, I think you read my article, Morgan. I think that these devil monkeys that people are seeing are actually juvenile gugwe. Yeah. You know, it would make the most sense because for the United States to have so many apes, types of apes running around just doesn't seem feasible in my book. Yeah. Now to see these devil monkeys that are smaller than the Gugwe and smaller than Bigfoot and even smaller than Dogman, you know, could they actually be juvenile Gugwe? Yeah. I think so. That would make the most sense because, I mean, it's weird though because in some cases of devil monkeys, they report a tail, a very long tail, whereas the Gugwe don't have tails. That's so interesting. And that would seem to designate a difference between, of course, like monkey and ape, which right. that's really unique into itself. I mean, there's two different species right there. Right. Well, I mean, there's different theories on the devil monkeys, too, though. Some say that they're actually they are baboons that escaped from a train wreck. And others will tell you, no, they're not baboon at all. They're just a type of cryptid that, you know, evolved somehow. So I'm not sure what to make of them. I just I think they could very well, though, be juvenile gugly. 
I really do. If you look at the physical features, especially in the face, they look like baboons. You know, they tend to have the crest upon their head, the same fur color too, grayish brown or even reddish brown. So it would only make sense that people are seeing the juveniles. Well, there's there's definitely some interesting Bigfoot-like cryptids that are, are around Alberta. And I think people don't realize, especially here, how close to the cities these things actually get. Oh, yeah. um, and it's it's incredible. And I think since the lockdowns had happened, mm -hmm. uh, more of them seem to be coming towards the big cities. There was a report yes, of a Sasquatch uh, next to one of our, our bigger cities here, Calgary. Um, and it was within, you know, a, a short drive from, you know, the, where people would be like urban centers. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating. There's a, a community up, uh, I guess, a little bit west of here uh, called Edson okay. and a uh, beautiful little city with a mount, lots of mountains around it. I mean, it's perfect Bigfoot territory. And uh, I had a, a friend of mine who she's a, a hunter and she was out with a couple of friends and they were putting up some trail cams in some of the game areas. And she told me a really interesting story where uh, she and her friend, they're putting these trail cams up and they heard all of a sudden the hair stood up on the back of their net. They knew they weren't alone. And there was an area of brush that started to violently shake. Mm -hmm. And it was over beside sort of off to the side of their, their vehicle. And uh, she, my friend immediately knew she's like, this isn't something you want to mess with it. She just no. took off running, got back in the cab of the truck. Um, but what was interesting was that as she was sitting there and she's watching this, what comes busting out of the bushes on the other side of her vehicle is this tiny little guy, red <laughs> reddish brown hair, um, no more than a f like couple feet tall, um, using its arms as a as as a, a mode to to run like knuckles down on the ground kind of so thing knuckle walking then yeah knuckle walking okay. but kind of pushing their back legs forward like if you were you know a chimp in a hurry right um wow. and whatever this little guy and he comes busting out and he ends up running over to where the the thrashing was so she was pretty sure that it was mama trying to create a distraction to get her baby across the road but That's it it was awesome. oh man it was yeah the coolest thing it, she said she was it was it was terrifying because any of course, any wild animal with a baby. You're, oh, yeah. You don't want to mess with that. Absolutely. Your, you know, your hackles are going up going, okay, is she going to come busting out of there and, you know, pull my truck apart? Uh, mm -hmm. But she didn't. And um, the baby disappeared in, into the brush. But I will never forget that story. And and to know That's that, so yeah, and to know that it was just so, so close to, to civilization. Yeah, I think the lockdowns kind of lulled them into a false sense of security mm -hmm. with humans. Yeah. Yeah. I think they figured, wow, there's something going on with the humans. They're not coming back outside. So, hey, we can go wherever we want. We're seeing yeah. that with uh, a lot of animals here in British Columbia as well. I'm, I bet. I'm, I'm close to Vancouver. So, I well, mean, I mean you're in Arizona, you know, the javelinas and the coyotes, they fell for that too. Mm -hmm. They were coming right into the apartment complexes and just bold as could be. So, it would make sense. It would follow that cryptids would be doing the same thing. Animals we're not aware of would yeah. exactly be doing the same thing. I mean, yeah. I would do it if I was a cryptid, you know, I'd be like, well, you know, those humans got some good food, man. I mean, you know, if they're inside, <laughs> we can grab some of that food real quick. Yeah. Well, and it brings up it, that actually brings up a really good question. And uh, I think something to talk about, which is, you know, if you've got these, 
you know, these these critters that, you know, there are they are coming and they are leaning more into the, the human habitat. You know, what mm-hmm. danger is it for them? Because yeah. I mean, we know that it's been a danger for other wildlife like bears and stuff stuff like that. And it, you know, it makes you kind of wonder, you know, if if we're gonna hit this crux of, you know, these whether it be the Gugway or a Bigfoot or or whatever, you know, leaning too far or we lean too far into their territory, I would say. And, you know, then you've got this a conflict that, or a potential, I guess, for, for some conflict. No. Mm. And see, if I see a Guglielo going through my trash, you can have it, man. I'll be like, hey, yeah. it doesn't mean much. I can't you blame you. <laughs> you want. We're good. I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm just going to go back indoors and walk the door. <laughs> it's, it's all yours, buddy. <laughs> yep. Feast away, my friend. Feast away. It's well, not on me. Oh yeah, well it was, it was funny actually today I was I was chatting with with Terry Lynn the owner of this acreage and she was uh relating a story to me about about their dog man and he's he's very he's very big and very awkward and I guess at one point she had said that he had they had a, a bird bath sitting on their their porch and he I guess he had gotten up on the porch and he had tried the front door and thank God the front door was locked thankfully um, oh yeah he had tried the the door handle because they had just moved there it was they hadn't been there that long so he he was now he he doesn't come up to the house at all um now that he knows that that's off limits but he uh, I guess he tried the door handle and couldn't get in the door handle and and backed up and hit the bird bath and the bird bath crashed <laughs> to the floor and all that he's gone right because he's, like, he's like oh my god this is too much and he took off but it was yeah you can kind of see how this you know the, these these conflicts you know could happen when you've got these yeah th- these places that you know we're we're, we're encroaching on that that territory well, mm-hmm. not to put too much light on the subject of them opening doors but it always reminds me of that scene in jurassic park yes the, the velociraptor like, yeah do you think they'll get in here no no unless somebody taught them how to open doors and you see the door opening it's like oh. yeah <laughs> oh yeah it always reminds me of that for some reason my mind always goes right to that it's a it's a great it's a great scene yeah i, I honestly don't know what their dogman would do if he if he was inside i have a funny feeling it would probably be a great big mess of him freaking out and <laughs> trying to get out the door and just, <laughs> probably just like oh there's people in here <laughs> i'm gonna uh, go Bye. yeah he i yeah he would i think he would just be gone i mean she made the mis- mistake uh back in july she was um had turned the lights on uh on the house she'd just gotten up it was really early in the morning and it was dark out she turned the lights on in the house and his one of his favorite spots is the 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 roof on their their second floor and Mm -hmm. i guess he had been headed up to his spot on the roof and the light caught him and he hit the deck really fast he just hit the grass (laughs) went totally flat because that's his thing he was completely flat and all you see is these bright bright eyes and he's looking (laughs) up at the window and like looking at terry lynn like i don't know what to do like i don't know that's funny yeah i don't know what to do so terry lynn just she was really smart because she just she just pretended that he wasn't there and that's kind of cute in a way (laughs) yeah yeah he's really interesting because yeah he doesn't have that i mean that uh that ferociousness that that uh some of them seem to have but it's yeah yeah, it's really funny a lot about that where everybody seems to think that dogmen are these killers and i just can't get on board with that no and and that's not been our experience here um very 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 shy and and i think you know when you when you look at um canids and and you know, just animals in general, you know, no matter what, whether it's Bigfoot or what, you know, if you, if you approach any animal with fear mm-hmm. right away, you're, mm-hmm. you know, that encounter is going to go downhill, like yeah. Oh, yeah. right away, you know, and then if, and then on top of it, you turn around and you run 
So mm-hmm. uh, then, boom, there's the chase. So I, I often wonder just how many of these encounters go south because, you know, immediately, of course, the person responds with fear, which is justifiable. Um, right. But that fear energy, you know, animals mirror that back. And, yeah. you know, you're going to get a snarl or a growl or whatever. I mean, you'll you'll get that out of your pet dog, too. Right. Oh, definitely. Yep. I think in a lot of cases, too, it's the presence of a weapon. I think these things mm. are smart enough to know what guns and crossbows do. So when they see it, they're kind of like, well, I have to go on the defensive so this person doesn't hurt me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I think. That's yeah. my belief. That's my experience. Because when I had my dog man encounter, there wasn't really any aggression. It seemed more curious about me than anything else. Yeah. And that's what we've been getting, too, is a lot of curiosity. Like, you're mm-hmm. wanting to get close, but not being sure and just very, you know, hesitant, wanting the connection, wanting the yep. communication, um, right. you know, getting up, uh, oftentimes he'll get up on the the, the side of the, the house or whatever. And um, he, he knows where their bedroom window is and he'll tap and scratch on the, on the wall beside the, the bedroom. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. And they've gotten into the habit now of replying to the tap. So he wants attention and he's like a big old puppy. He's not a big old puppy. He's, you know, and I mean, we have to be unbelievably respectful of him because I mean, he's oh, of course. bloody yeah. huge. I mean, he's, he's huge. He's, he's a predator. I mean, he's, there's no question about it, but there's, there's wow. a lot of very endearing, endearing things about him. And very nice. Yeah. So one thing about the Gugwe though, I kind of want your opinion on this Morgan sure. and yours too, Mike. Um, some people say that these things will actually take the blood and the fat of their prey and smear it all over their fur. And some say that it's that's where the smell comes from. But I always mm. thought maybe the odor that they put off could be something similar to a, a gorilla because gorillas give off chemical signals. You know, so maybe right. it's something that they do, I don't know, to mask their actual natural smell. Mm-hmm. I mean, that shows a lot of intelligence to take the blood and the fat of your prey and smear it all over you. Do you think that's something they would do or? That's interesting. You know, not uh, not knowing as much about ape behavior. I mean, assuming that this is assuming that this is an ape of mm-hmm. of some sort. Um, right. Like it would. It's it's hard to say because I mean, at some point too, you think that that would make them a target for another predator as well. Like if you're mm-hmm. smelling like a wounded animal, well, now, you know, could that be a way for them to flush out their prey though? I mean, yeah, an attract mm-hmm. a point of attraction. Yeah, I mean, if you like, you wanted to get something like a bear or something like that, and these things seem pretty brazen enough to take on bears, what's the best way to get them out of hiding? Bait them out. Yeah. That's interesting, Mike. What do you think about that? Oh, geez, I'm just, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around it. I was thinking, is it, could it be something maybe evolutionary that could has be. kind of developed in that way? Uh, it, it, maybe it's it might, a learned you know, behavior. A learned yeah. behavior, possibly. Maybe they saw humans doing this. Yeah, could be. Uh, it's yeah. kind of a weird uh, case of monkey see, monkey do, I guess. Well, I just want to know where the Gugway live so I can not go there. That's oh, my... Boy. <laughs> so you're not going to like this then, Mike, because, I mean, people have seen them in Canada. They've seen them in Mississippi. They've seen them really in a lot of places, and it's kind of alarming. You know, because, I mean, they used to see them in just one distinct area for a while, and now people in the States here in the U.S. are reporting seeing them. I mean, I've heard things from California washington Ugh. even here in arizona so i'm like Ugh. but <laughs> they seem to be moving around so well, si- i'm not i'm not happy with that <laughs> yeah, i didn't think he would be I, I really didn't think he would be so similar territory then to 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 bigfoot in terms of mm-hmm. the mountain ranges the the trees forests stuff like that yeah yeah so i think there's a reason for that though i think that they kind of watch where the sasquatch go 
and they, they realize this is oh, safe places. Right. They're going, hey, there's shelter, there's water, there's food. So let's go over there. So they kind of follow them. And maybe, you know, dog man comes along too. And that's where you get the wars. Who knows? That's that's interesting. And and I know, I, I don't know the Gugway, but I know there's been talk of, you know, things like uh, Dogman and Sasquatch kind of having these um, otherworldly uh, qualities to them. Is Does the Gugway mm-hmm. fall into that as well? Or is, is it, do you think this is something organic? Well, the most otherworldly thing I've heard about when it comes to Gugway is the glowing eyes. Right. You know, some people will say their eyes were glowing red, but, you know, I have to wonder though, Morgan, is that eye shine? Is that, you know, them reflecting lights from something? Yeah. Or is it internally glowing? You know, I mean, that would make a big difference if it's internally glowing and you got to wonder where is that coming from? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I know with, with our dog, man, the eyes have their own glow. Okay. And that, and it's, it's so strange. Like it's so strange. And they, oddly enough, they also change color and okay. we've caught, so- yeah. And we've caught photos of them in mid color change where one is Whoa. yeah where one will be red and one will be a, a glowing uh i wouldn't say red but like a almost like a, a dark amber and the other Lucky. will be a, a pale yellow but we've also seen a very very very, very pale theory. green yeah and one of yeah. uh one of our guests the one night at um haunted hollow thought of a really interesting theory with that and she was wondering if, very similar to uh, a snake or like pythons, they can switch between um, different forms of vision. Like a snake can switch between thermal vision and, you know, a, a regular eyesight. And oh. she was wondering if if that might have something to do with it as well. If that they're actually, depending on what color you're seeing, it's actually, you know, which frequency they're seeing at. And I'd never heard that before. And I thought that was really, that was a kind of a brilliant idea. That's a fantastic theory, actually. Whoa, isn't that? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard the theory that the uh, the color of eyes is like indicative of the mood they're in. And I, yeah, I heard that as well. But it, like, when we when we saw them color change the, the last number of times, the, mm-hmm. the setting in itself hadn't really changed. Okay. And we were wondering if maybe, it, like, if if you know, if you're dealing with an environment that's got a, a ton of you know foliage and brush and whatnot i mean what a fantastic adaptation if you could switch from say for example you know a, a, a right. regular vision of a wolf or something like that to something like a snake where they can switch into thermal that like is if, a brilliant theory though that wow isn't it i'm, I'm yeah. blown away by that yeah your like friend that. needs to run with that that's yeah, like, great wow. like built-in flare and on yeah. Demand. yeah yeah because I mean, there's no question. I mean, you know, being out being out in the woods in this property. I mean, it is your flashlight does very little. I mean, it is so dark. And, oh yeah, you know, even here in Arizona, when I go to my research areas, you can have a super bright flashlight. Yeah, it really doesn't do too much. No, I mean, it hits the trees in front of you, and that's about it. Yeah, and then it reflects off the leaves, so you're getting the light right back on you. Exactly, and you know, so I mean, what a what a, an incredible adaptation. And I mean, these guys. I mean, when they, when we've, we've got groups out there or whatever, we'll be on the, you know, walking along the trails. And I mean, they, they follow the group. We, they go everywhere with us and uh, they, they pace the group from about, I would say, I don't know, a number of yards in the, the woods. And I mean, they know exactly where they're going. You know, there's, I mean, they're so quiet. I mean, you hear, you hear footsteps, but I mean, you don't hear any like bustling you know right well they're predators so they know how to be quiet they know mm-hmm. how to be quiet but it also is indicative of the fact they can still see really well yes yes uh, they don't stumble or yeah, crack twigs or anything no and it's like sometimes you'll like right now they're 
su- a little bit noisy because there's the whole ground is just thick with dead leaves because uh, oh. of being fall. But I mean, so you can hear them, you know, walking through the the woods or whatever. But um, you know, on on the whole, I mean, you're you know, you're not hearing what you'd think if you know a, a great big animal was going through the woods. So to me, it just it is again indicative of the fact that they're seeing excessively well. No, I've always wondered if Dogman and Bigfoot get aggravated with the fallen leaves. If they, you know, they go to try to be silent, and they're just crunch. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's uh, it, it makes you wonder. I mean, I know with our guy here, I mean, he definitely is a tree climber, and uh, he you'll hear him jump from trees, and when he hits the ground, wow. it's this great big thump, um, <laughs> and you know, he's he's jumped from somewhere. But it, but yeah, I mean, it's I I, I don't know. They've they've they find their way around out there. And I, I just, I can't imagine, I can't imagine a situation where the Gugway was, you know, wandering around or pursuing you in, in some way. I just, as I say, apes and stuff like that, I don't trust them worth anything. Yeah, I don't either. I really don't. I mean, like I was doing dogman research out here in Arizona and I learned from Brian Sullivan that Gugway are here in Arizona still. And I'm just like, you know what, man? I don't trust them one day. I'm not going to keep my back to them or anything. Nope. If I know one's in the area, I'll be just, yep, bye. Picture me rolling. What, yeah. do, you, what do you think people should do if it, I, I don't even know if you'd have advice on this, but what do you think people should do if they actually, if they run into a situation where they're seeing something like this? Is there stuff that like you shouldn't be doing? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing things like, you know, keep your, keep your mouth closed so that you're not smiling with your teeth. Um, right. That type Avoid of eye thing. Contact. Yeah. Avoid eye contact, of course. And um, don't do anything that's going to show hostility. Yeah. You know, don't don't yell, scream, don't throw rocks, don't bang the trees. You know, don't try to be a macho man. Just get out of there and maybe tell somebody that also does this kind of stuff what you had seen and try to come up with some kind of plan to avoid that certain area because you're not going to get it out of there. Yeah. Mm. You know, and if it knows that you're there, you might be encroaching on its turf and it's not going to end well for you. Yeah, well, and that's a good point, too, is that, you know, I think it, maybe some people in that situation would think, oh, it's like a bear, so make a lot of noise, you know, because no. like, we're told with cougars and things like that, that, you know, well, just make yourself bigger and try to make noise. But I mean, I can't see that being an effective strategy here. I think these things are smart enough, Morgan, where if you tried to do that, they just laugh at you, be like, yeah. <laughs> trying to be bigger than I am. Come on, dude, I'm looking down at you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I just I can't. I can't imagine. I mean, I, I, they've just, they've just got such, such an advantage, but uh, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think the idea of just, you know, trying, trying to get out of there as best you can without looking like a menace. I've I've heard of researchers that tried to kind of have like peaceful negotiations with these things. And it's just, it didn't work out. They were trying to gift the Gugwee and these things would still try to give chase. So obviously they want nothing to do with us. Yeah. You know, so I think really the best thing is just to avoid them at any costs. Yeah, I I I agree. So, Mike, you're not going uh, gugway hunting. No, I'm not going gugway <laughs> hunting. I've been. Mike, you can go. Just take a friend. Remember, you, can, you don't have to outrun the gugway. Just outrun your friend. Right. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I don't know if I can. I I kind of waddle now, so it's. <laughs> I don't I don't know if it's going to be uh, the best thing for me to go gugway hunting at all. I, I'll stick to birds. I look I look, <laughs> and I'm not hunting them. I'm actually just shooting them with my camera. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, hey, you're a photographer. I mean, come on now. Beast of seven shoots. That's how the guy caught the gugway on camera. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I've been out in the woods a lot. I mean, obviously I'm surrounded by it here in British mm-hmm. Columbia and I've always kind of hoped I would see something and just never have. 
You will. You will only least expect it. That's how it happens. Uh, yeah, it, I've seen lots of so bears. <laughs> but, I bet. Yeah. I bet you have. Yeah. yeah, it's so true, though. Is it? It is. It's. It's when you're. Uh, what I find is that it's when you're you're being present and you've just let go of the idea of looking. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, and it because as soon as you're you're looking, you're telling the universe that you can't see it. And yeah. see, that's absolutely that whole, yeah that whole idea of manifesting. Yeah. yeah. Right. And that's that's what we found. Like every even on the Saturdays when you know I go out to this this property is I just I I let go of the idea of you know how it's going to happen. Uh, you know, and if it doesn't happen, that's okay. Uh, yeah, and I just kind of let that go. And but I mean, now I mean, he's there every weekend, so it's fine. But right. it's, you'll see it when you're meant to. Yeah, yeah and right. and when when they decide you're supposed to, mm-hmm. you know, like there's there's times where there's you know an hour or two that'll go by and there'll be nothing, but then you know all of a sudden it's like oh oh there he is, you know oh he's over mm-hmm. in the you know and the, the two eyes pop up and then you're he's there with you for the rest of the night. And, uh, you know, when he's usually around for a good number of hours when we're outside and, and it's pretty exciting. It's so cool. And it's so, it's so neat to be able to share the experience with, you know, the attend, the attendees that come out. And so how many people are going and see this every, every time? Well, we've had everywhere from nine to 20. Wow. And yeah. And, uh, it's, it's been phenomenal and people, people just, you know, they're, their jaws are on the floor by the time they're they're done. But yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, that's so cool. Wow, you're really putting in some work here, Morgan. Oh man, it's it's so it's worth it because I always feel that by the time we leave, and I think by the time our our guests leave, I think everybody is really feeling like they got to see some a little bit of magic that nature has got to offer. That's awesome. And I I'm I feel incredibly grateful. Just absolutely incredibly grateful. And even to the point oh, where wow. when I, before I leave the property, I go out there and I say thank you. And Very cool. Every time I go out there and say thank you and just, you know, we we so appreciate you and we appreciate you, you know, joining us tonight and you know, we'll see you next week, we hope. And we're just, you know, ever grateful that you're here. And and I think that's what keeps them keeps this going. And yeah, 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 the gentleness you're showing. Yeah, and they, they, they absolutely get it. I and I don't know whether they're, you know, hearing English or anything like that, but the the intention is there, and I think they, like other animals, absolutely receive the intention. Right, and the tone of voice yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been yeah. amazing, Ryan, and I'm so glad that you could fill us in. <laughs> It was hey, my pleasure. Su- this went by super fast. I like, know. It's it so really fascinating. Yeah. I feel like I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is amazing. But tell people where they can find you, where they can listen to your show, all of that, because I, you know, if the the audience that's listening, I highly, highly recommend you know anything that Ryan's doing. He's an incredible researcher. So, oh, thank you. No, it's it's true. I mean, your stuff is so well researched. So let people know where they can find you. Okay. Well, you can find me on Monster Radio over on YouTube. We're going to upload to other platforms eventually, but right now it's just on YouTube and I'll be starting a horror movie podcast here next year. And that's probably going to be on YouTube for a while until I start getting motivated enough to put it on other places. But you can find me on Facebook under Ryan Paul Tremblay. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, just look for Ryan Paul Tremblay. You'll find me and just add me up, hit me up with questions or whatever. I love talking to people. I love getting the questions. I love hearing encounters. I love seeing photos. You can even send me art photos. I, I'm a big artist. So if you want to share your art with me or whatever, please do. I love that kind of stuff. 
Well, that's awesome. And again, thank you so much for coming. We're going to be dragging you back on here, by the way, because. Oh, yeah, please do. do. (laughs) I absolutely had a great time. Oh, that was awesome, guys. Mike, nice meeting you finally, man. Yeah, nice to meet you, too. Yeah, this is great. Here's Morgan for this episode's segment of Spiritual Healthcare. In this episode's edition of Spiritual Healthcare, the segment of the show where you get to be the creator and designer of your paranormal and spiritual experience, we're going to tell you about a process called Mindfulness with Nature. This is a great process to be used after exercising or when you need to refocus and de-stress from the outside world. Remembering our connection with nature is one of the best ways to remind ourselves that we are not alone. Trees in particular are one of the most grounded beings in the world to connect with because they are steady, stable, available, and constant. I encourage you to find a tree, preferably in a quiet location. Observe it for a moment, and if you can, lift the label of the tree from your mind. Take a deep breath. Can you see it as a being rather than through your label of tree? Put your hands on it. Close your eyes and imagine a light energy coming from the top of the tree through its roots, under your feet, and then up past your head. Do it as slowly or as fast as you feel comfortable. Feel the ground under your feet. Feel the peace and calm as you feel this energy rise through your feet, your legs, your chest, flow down your arms, and out through the top of your head. Take deep breaths. Stay with this until you begin to feel the change in your being, a calm peace that comes only with the reunification with nature. You need nothing to be happy, but you need something to be sad. And remember, at the end of seeking, all is consciousness. Stay in peace, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supernatural Circumstances a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast podcast network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can find out more about Morgan Knudsen at entityseeker.ca and more about me and listen to my other show at darkpatine.com. Feel free to email the show at supernaturalcircumstances at gmail.com. Good night for now.